Welcome back to Following Noah Dawn, a Stormlight podcast. This week is episode 83, and we're talking about chapters 101 through 105 of Oathbringer by Brandon Sanderson. This is officially longer than Words of Radiance and The Way of Kings. Once we hit chapter 105, that's where Words of Radiance leaves off, if, I, if I'm not wrong. And we're, The Way of Kings doesn't even get to chapter 100, so... Or we're into the late game, as they say, for uh, for Oathbringer. How are you? How are you, Elliot? Good. I'm very very excited about this episode for a completely random and slightly arbitrary reason that we're going to get to soon. I uh, I understand. How are you, Paul? I am amazing. I am. Uh, I've got my little Christmas antlers on. Uh, I don't know which reindeer I am. I'll have to take the reindeer quiz or something <laughs> to determine uh, whichever one is a windrunner, I guess. Um, Dasher. So, yeah, I think so. Or Comet. Comet's probably a skybreaker. Probably. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, I'm uh, really excited to talk about this. Really excited to go in. Um, yeah, we... Uh, yeah, I'm super excited. We see Know It On again. That's really exciting. So I'm looking forward to talking about that with you guys. Who's on our mug? Oh, our mug. So, kind of a unique week here. Um, This week we have... Steven. Steven's on our mug. And this is Steven from before, if you remember. Our loyal fans who, who, are, who are here each week. Um, Steven... Before I said he was, a don't mess this ardent, up, right? I said he was an ardent. He was a surgeon. Everyone laughed at me, right? Everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, Paul never knows what tier our patrons are." Well, jokes on you, everyone, because now Stephen <laughs> is an ardent. He upped his tier, and so I was just right all along. So I think. We should, you know, correct that. I don't know if we still have like a account going on for how accurate I am, but <laughs> no, Stephen's Stephen is now an ardent. Stephen's just covering for you. Is what's happening here? Back. He he said, you said he was an ardent. He's like, yeah, I should be an ardent, and then increase his tier. See, but if we went back and re-looked at that video, and we were, I was like, Stephen's an ardent. I'm no longer wrong. I'm just not wrong anymore. So. I would like to say a big thank you to Steven, um, not only for supporting us, uh, which we really highly appreciate, but also for really <laughs> helping me out uh, with with my, uh, you know, mistakes and things, which is no longer a mistake now, thanks to you. Thanks thank to you, Steven. Steven. Thank you, Steven. So <laughs> we really appreciate it. And, uh, oh, uh, so the mug, it's got a, it's got a little H on there, a little H logo. And that is actually, it's just a logo for where I work, um, Highland Church. So there we go. Nice. No music this week. I've I've had several music-related ones, like last week, and then I had like a piano one. So this week, no music. Two words for this episode? Mine are... Journey and confidence. Uh, okay, I thought you were gonna take the low hanging fruit there, but uh, all right. 
uh, no, 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 no. journey and confidence. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. All right, Elliot. So this is going to be an interesting week. I could have picked words relating to Dalinar and some of the revelations we get about him. I could have picked words relating to Noah Dawn, the namesake for our for our podcast. But instead, I'm going to pick words relating to the one thing that I got completely distracted by and probably spent more time researching than I did actually reading these chapters. My two words for this episode are the painting. All right. Let's use these four words and talk about Oathbringer. Oh, man. All right. So when I saw your part of the outline, Elliot, where you say, I recognize this painting, and <laughs> uh, I believe it's nine exclamation marks next to it, I put a snip of that in our inner circle Discord <laughs> for our patrons to look at because I just thought it was so funny. I've been sharing some of our uh, outlines with them um, for our early content stuff for them. So I just really appreciated that. So go ahead and talk about the painting. So I got to talk about this. I'll talk about it more when we see it in the the chapter here. But in chapter 102, 102, there's another one of these classic Brandon Sanderson throwaway moments where if you're reading it and you're not paying attention, you're going to blow right past it. But I was paying attention. Actually, first time, I, it just kind of stood out to me the first time. I was like, oh, that seems vaguely familiar and odd. I'll have to pay more attention next time. And then when I came back through taking my notes, I paused, set down the book, had to go do some research because the painting that Kaladin sees completely randomly in the marketplace of this city in Shadesmar is the painting that Lightsong sees in Warbreaker and spends like a bunch of time analyzing. Yeah. I'll break it down for when we get to the chapter. OMG, my head about exploded. We will talk. This is certainly going to be a good episode. Yeah, we will certainly talk about it more. <laughs> this is going to be a really good episode. Go ahead, Paul. Um. Well, whenever I heard Elliot's words, the painting, I I I don't even know what my words are anymore. I'm just invested <laughs> in that. Uh, let me go find my notes. You're so invested. <laughs> yes, I am very invested. I'm like a fourth tightening right now or something um anyways my words are journey and confidence journey is a commonly used word in our archives here archives regarding stormlight and uh you know journey before destination right but i'm, I'm gonna take it out of that context a little bit and mostly talk about our flashback delinar chapters we've really seen a lot so we had a good amount of variety in our different characters flashbacks right if we go look at kaladin's ones back in the way of kings it does show like a, a strict like journey progression like where we see him grow as a child and then kind of his early like dealings in the military all this stuff uh in shallan's book words of radiance we see less of like a journey like embarking on a journey or a quest or something 
and more of like a I don't know what you'd call it. it it's almost like a drama or horror film but maybe a better term for it it's very like scary and dark and and things in this one in Dalinar's book Oathbringer it's different once again where it's it, it's almost feeling like it's half and half uh it feels like we kind of see like a political drama almost um or maybe like a I don't know a raunchy like I don't know what to call it it's there's a lot of drunkenness, a lot of like craziness, um, heartbreak and broken relationships, and then tragedy, and then now we're kind of seeing him embark on a quest or a journey. Um, I'm very excited for this. This is I feel like this is the part we've been waiting for as far as Delinar's character development for what we know about him. Um, and so that's mostly where journey comes from is we kind of see his plans laid out and he's, I assume we're about to learn a lot or see what actually happens. Sounds good. I have another word. Um, that's not allowed. (laughs) Confidence. Oh, I see what you're saying. Uh, No, no, no. One of my two, that was my first of two. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Confidence actually, uh, it largely goes to Navani. Uh, big big shout out to Navani in in one o four. Honestly, if I wanted to be immature about it, chapter one o four is when I would be like, "Does this really matter?" And it very much matters. But I was I was almost a little bored reading it. Just being honest, like nothing is super exciting. But Navani really stands up for Dalinar. But there's also like a good bit of doubt that we see a little bit behind the scenes of Navani is sticking her neck out hard to defend Dalinar but she's almost wondering like is he going to like make a recovery because he's kind of just a drunkard right now Uh, but she does have the confidence not only to step out and stick her neck out there for Dalinar in the defense of him and their kingdom but also the confidence in Dalinar to make this recovery and be everything that she's saying he's going to be Absolutely. Those I, are the main reasons for my words. 100% agree. All right. Chapter 101. And before I even talk about Chapter 101, let's talk about the epigraph for Chapter 101. This could be such a good one. We'll tie, we'll tie the epigraphs for 101, 2, 3, and 4. All, or actually, not 4. 1, 2, and 3 together. And Elliot, I know you want to talk about this, but I'll go ahead and read them, and then we'll, we can talk about them. So this is for the epigraphs for 101, 102, and 103. Moloch is very similar to Nergaul, though instead of inspiring battle rage, he supposedly granted visions of the future. In this lore and theology align, seeing the future originates from the unmade and is of the enemy. Moloch was said to grant visions of the future at different times, but most commonly at the transition point between realms, when a soul was nearing the Tranquiline Halls. Many cultures speak of the so-called death rattles that sometimes overtake people as they die. Tradition ascribes them to the Almighty, but I find too many of them to be seemingly prophetic. This will be my most contentious assertion, I am sure, but I think these are the effects of Moalak persisting in our current time. Proof is easy to provide. The effect is regionalized and tends to move across Roshar. This is the roving of the unmade. 
yet yet again, like we talked about last time, we're getting some really clear, direct information out of the epigraphs, which I'm almost like uncomfortable about this at this point, because up until now, our epigraphs have been pretty consistently vague, not very helpful. There were entire parts of books I just almost didn't even read the epigraphs because they were so out of context. And now here we get very specific, oh yeah, and uh, death rattles caused by Moloch, who's an unmade and roams the world. Wow, that was incredibly helpful. Well, and some of those epigraphs that are seemingly don't mean anything are back in the way of kings, and they're the death rattles that are prophetic. So anytime you'd like, you can go pick up your way of kings and listen to those (laughs) and try to figure out what those are talking about now. Yep. So yeah, not too much more to to talk about there aside from we're getting some really good useful information here. We can start to put some names to what's going on. We know Teravangian is collecting these death rattles, so he's going to be, you know, trying to figure out where Moalak is, follow him around, collect those. We're starting to again understand a little bit more about what's going on here. Yet another uh reference to when I asked how many unmade have we seen on screen back when I asked that, and there's another one. Me and Elliot's lives just flashed before our eyes at that very moment. All right. Into the actual content of 101 here, we have an Adolin point of view chapter, and it's talking about, or it's on the ship, and they're approaching Celebrant. They are coming into our first city that we've seen in Shadesmar. And I kind of want to take a step back before we talk about the details in this chapter. What were your guys' impressions of Shadesmar? And how has that changed now that we're into part four here? Like, I, everybody has their preconceived notions through the first two books of how Shadesmar kind of is. And then we actually spend time here into part four of Oathbringer. How has that changed? Do you like it? Do you not like it? Is this a waste of time for you guys? Are you enjoying your time in Shadesmar? What are we... What are our thoughts? It's it's definitely turning out to not be what I expected. I did not expect the structured culture and the developed cities. I, I think there was a moment where Syl or somebody mentioned like a long time back, oh yeah, Spren live in cities or something like that, just kind of offhand. But I never really thought about, you know, what does that actually look like? And our brief glimpses we got of Shadesmar of just a weird backward sun and a sea of beads kind of made me think it was just this kind of dark land where not a whole lot happens. But that's turning out to not be the case at all. There's trade, there's lighthouses, there's you name it. There's all kinds of stuff going on politics you know you all, all kinds of interesting things going on here in this whole separate world i i had i didn't have any idea i in fact i i still think this myself but i always imagine celebrant the city that they show up to in this episode of being extremely flat like the entirety of Shadesmar is extremely sea level. Like it's 
it's a C, like the whole thing is a C. And then when you get to a city, it's like, you know, a couple feet above the, the, the B level. And then the whole thing is just like two dimensional shades. Mars two dimensional. That's it in my head. That's what I envision. Do you guys have the same impression of there's no elevation gain or depression in shades? Mars? Yeah, pretty much. I don't, I never think of like a significance, like to landscapes or even like weather. Right. Like, right. Things like that. It's just always like, I don't know, 80 degrees and dark ish, but like light at the same time. I don't know. Yeah, yeah and I've always imagined up. it completely flat and still also like I just imagine it's just beads. There's no like waves or things like that. It's just plain. Do you, do you remember the scene from one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies where Captain Jack Sparrow's in Davy Jones' locker and he's like licking rocks, weird stuff? That that's yes. kind of what I imagine Shades Mars a darker version of that for some reason. I'm also, also there's crabs in that scene. Maybe he was in Roshar. Ooh. <laughs> wow. That would make sense. I think we can make, connect those dots actually. Uh, and what yeah, what's her what face that ex- system? What's her face yeah. that explodes into all those crabs she's a sleepless yeah this is oh yeah 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 yeah. that's the first uh you know screen adaptation of there we go brandon sanderson's writing yeah very cool glad glad we cracked that one (laughs) also just just something that i've been thinking about is since this isn't a like visual adaptation i don't know but there's probably like art made of shades of or something but I bet a lot of people have different like imaginations of Shadesmore. That's one thing I'd be really curious. If you are listening or watching, definitely comment or in our Discord. Let us know like how you have envisioned Shadesmore because that's something I'm actually really curious to see. Because honestly, I think I have a really bland imagination. Like my imagination was just plain. Like even if you get off of. Like the bead C, it doesn't even go up at all. Like it's just, it's like the edge of the McDonald's like ball pit. Like I don't know, like <laughs> the McDonald's, <laughs> the, the playpen ball pit. Like there's nothing special and stuff. So you okay over there, Elliot? <laughs> that was close. I took a drink right before you said that. That was dangerous. Yeah, that's that the dangerous. first time I've seen you like <laughs> bend over. That was funny, but yeah. <laughs> so. Really curious to know, like, how other people, other people who are way more imaginative than me, I always uh, have, have have seen it. I always picture it of the Twilight levels in Legend of Zelda, the where you become a wolf and there's everything's kind yeah. of brown yeah. And, and yeah, that's that's what I picture. And as a kid, you'd be really scared. Like that was yeah. kind of scary. Yeah, playing that as a and kid. you go back and re- replay it, and you're just annoyed. At those levels yeah, now, you're like, like, ah, like I don't want to. I don't want to do this. I have to fight these bugs so I can go back to playing the actual game. Yep. What a pain! Let's talk about Azure. We haven't talked about Azure for a little bit, and she has some interesting dialogue with Adolin in this chapter. Elliot, do you want to talk about this? I I see your eyes 
glinting over there. It's not just your glasses. Not just the reflection of my computer screen and my glasses. The yes, 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 yes. I do want to talk about this. There's an interesting discussion here between Azure and it's Adolin, right? Yep. They're just kind of chatting. And Adolin has this interesting scene where he like goes and tailors himself some new clothes because he apparently can't go a week without a new set of clothes. So there's that. And then Azure is like kind of commenting like, that's kind of strange. Like royals don't usually, you know, don't usually have, they don't usually know how to do that. And Adolin's like, well, how many royals have you known? And then she kind of like, you know, well, actually, and spins off into this interesting discussion where she's like, well, actually, I have been around royals. And actually, I do have experience with that. And actually, it didn't go so well for me. And she even ends up like talking further. And you realize that she's talking about herself, it seems like. And she talks about how she's had experience with a throne and how she walked away from it and how there was family involved and how she felt like she's shirking her responsibilities. And this whole time as she's talking through this, I'm thinking you're describing the plot of Warbreaker. You're, you're describing what we saw happen with Siri and Vivena in Warbreaker. Is Azure one of those characters? Paul, help me here. I don't think you want me to help you here. <laughs> because I she's do. light song. I... It's obvious. No, Shalot so no, Shalot is light song. No, no. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm kidding. I'm, kidding. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I just wanted to cause chaos. We can move on. I I really do. I'm now leaning pretty heavily in the direction of last episode. I talked about how I'm now fully convinced that Zyle is Vasher. I think our heroes might be hanging out with the Vena. I think that this, what she's talking about here fits with the Vena's character that we saw in Warbreaker. Spoilers for Warbreaker, by the way, go back and read that book. If you hadn't just, it's way too late now, but throwing that out there. <laughs> at the end of that book, at the end of Warbreaker, we get this vibe of like Vivena and Vasher are gonna like go off and have adventures. Is like have they done that? Have they gone off and had adventures and somehow they're separated? And Vasher is now on Roshar and Azure just showed up and she's looking for him. They're trying to reunite or something like that. These are all the the lanes my my mind is going down now because there's some, there's some evidence I think pointing towards this. Assuming she is Vivenna, who is she looking for? She says she's looking for a criminal, and that's why she's here. Who's the criminal? Is it Vasher or presumably Zile for stealing Nightblood? Ooh, is ah. it? Is it Nail? Is it Nightblood? Is it now Zeth? Because he has Nail? Or is, uh, sorry, has Nightblood? Who knows? What if? What if Azure and Zeth fought, just for fun? I think it's not going to go well for Azure. I was going to say, I think Azure would lose. 
Yeah, probably so. Cool. To answer your question, Trevor, I think the criminal is Vasher. I think she's saying that like sort of facetiously or almost endearingly, like, oh yeah, my my criminal Vasher, you know. Okay. My 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 companion. I don't know that she's necessarily like trying to track down a criminal like she's a you know law enforcement. Right. I almost wonder if she's like, oh yeah, that criminal that old criminal Vasher is kind of how I'm interpreting that maybe i'm taking a little too much license there no that's fair any more comments on azure i'm gonna i've already had my eye on her now i'm gonna have my eye even closer on her because i really want some proof to to say this is confirmed because we're 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 still a ways away from i think being sure on this but there's definitely some evidence here in this segment. And her hair has changed before this. I've so. seen that. Yep. All right. Adolin and Captain Eco have a conversation, and Captain Eco's father is locked away in the prison cell of the ship. Why? Because he used to be a Radiant Spren, right? That was the explanation there. Right. So on Roshar, Captain Eco's dad is a dead shard blade. And if he doesn't keep him locked in his ship, he's going to go wander to the equivalent mirror spot of his shard blade and he's going to walk around there. And he doesn't want him to do that. So he's going to keep him locked up in his ship and sail around with him. That is so odd. <laughs> like, think about that in, like, physical realm terms. Like, oh yeah, like, my dad is, like, in my basement. He's <laughs> deceased. Because if I let him out, he will float around in the sky following off. his... <laughs> following the... the, the being where like i don't know the sword that uh equates to him in another realm he will follow that around endlessly and i don't want him to do that therefore he is in my basement and they're like okay cool like yep. sounds good oh, so yeah sure moving on yeah i've got my dad there like you know my mom's in the cupboard i don't know like <laughs> <laughs> i have two quick thoughts on this first off I had assumed that objects in the physical realm and their associated spren would always be in the same place, if that makes sense. Right. Like, if you were to travel, if you were to stand at one point and travel back and forth between physical and Shadesmar, in the physical you'd see a shard blade, and in Shadesmar you'd see the dead spren. Or in the physical you'd see a stick, and in the in Shadesmar you'd see a sphere, which is the you know soul of the stick or whatever it is. And maybe I'm crossing lines here with the spread and whatnot, but this shows that that's, at least in this case, not the case. He's, Eco is intentionally separating his father, the spread part, from the actual blade. So the blade could be on the whole other side of Roshar, and the spread guy is with them on the ship. I don't know if that's important, but it kind of broke my assumptions of how it, things worked in Shadesmar a little bit. Well, I don't think your assumptions are 
ill-founded because that's what he's preventing where right the the sphere or the spren will gravitate to wherever they are in the physical realm but you can prevent that and it's not like a they're just going to phase through the wall to get there they you can physically prevent that from happening so yeah just interesting physics i guess behind roshar there second thing is this what Syl was like when Kaladin killed her? We've seen two examples of this now. We, we have the spren that's following Adolin around. That's the spren of his shard blade. And now we see another example of a dead spren. We had that dramatic sequence where Syl was dead. Was she this like kind of mindless corpse, walking corpse kind of spren in Shadesmar? During that time, does it matter that she wasn't a shard blade yet? I'm not sure. Okay, I don't. I may have already brought this up. If so, I'm sorry for repeating myself. But are we confident that the sprint is like she's described as very different looking from Shalon, but she is humanoid. And so my thought was, is she just like a dead honor spren? Like, are her and Syl like not that different? She's Syl is just alive. Um, we don't know what a dead honor spren would look like, I guess. But yeah, I could see that being a very real possibility. I feel like enough things have been. I don't know. She she's been hanging around for too long that she's got to become relevant in some way. I feel like it would just be. Okay, I'm going to recant a little bit. T two things are going running through my head. One is our dead our dead eye has been wandering around with us for quite a while in this story, and I imagine we'll continue to do so until we exit Shadesmar. So that makes me think maybe this there's good, I don't know, through the power of friendship she's going to come alive. Uh my second thought is it's honestly just a good point of showing like what these dead sprint are like kind of how sad it is that people use dead sprint. I don't know. Things like that. There's a lot of significance that be, can be portrayed by her just being there all the time um, in the cognitive realm. So I don't know. Those are, those are like the two ways that I could see the significance of our dead eye being. As as far as what type of spren she is, you've been... She has vines, kind of, for mm -hmm. skin, and cord is what it, it was describing. Where have we seen that before? Yeah. In the physical realm, where have we seen that before? Mm -hmm. With the, like, uh, what's the term for it? The soul casters? People soul casting? Okay, yes. Where else? Wendell. Well, Wendell's described as a vine, but he's like not a humanoid vine. Right. So on on the physical side, he's just kind of vines. But on the so then on here on Shadesmar's side, it's a humanoid walking like made of vines. Mm -hmm. So a I'm lot of pattern. this has never been confirmed at, by the end of Oathbringer, but it was assumed that this spread was an old edge dancer spread. Okay. I was wondering that actually. That's interesting. 
That and sense. also interesting, Paul, that you mentioned the Soulcaster. I'm going to come back to that in a minute here and talk about Soulcasters a little bit later on. So we'll, we'll, we'll revisit that. Great. You brought up the, the sad, it being sad that we're using Spren on the physical realm when they're sentient beings that we, that the Knights Radiant killed way back when or whatever. And Captain Eco seems to be fairly pragmatic about it. He's, he's like, they're dead. Like they don't, they're not using their shard bladeness. So I don't blame you for using it because they're super powerful, but that seems to be not the widespread impression of Spren where Spren would actually hold that against humans for using those like, like Syl has in the past where Syl doesn't like people for holding shard blades. Do you remember that? And then you can hear if you're a knight radiant, you'll hear screams if you pick up a, a dead Spren. So, but Captain Eco's not like super hung up on that, that topic. So. I, I think we might be approaching another potentially big dilemma. So we had kind of a big reveal at one point when we realized that the Parchmen were being held in that form essentially against their will. And there's a big question of, is it is it ethical to be using Parchmen as slaves? They had been justifying it because they viewed them as, you know, maybe closer to beasts than humans. Right. They were... They're not intelligent. They can't, you know, talk normally. They don't have feelings. We use them for manual labor. Then there's this huge realization of, oh, crap. Actually, they do have feelings. They're just stuck in these dull forms, and they can't interact even though they wish they could. So that brought a whole, you know, ethical dilemma there. I think we might be headed for another ethical dilemma. Is it okay to be using a shard blade when that's the corpse of a person a, a a you know sentient being and you can go even further and say is it okay to be using fabrials we've had hints a couple times towards the fact that a fabrial is powered by an imprisoned spren and we had a scene last episode we didn't have enough time to talk about it Right. But Dalinar was talking with Teravangian, and Teravangian was showing him the half-shard shields that the, the Vadans have invented. And Teravangian says something interesting. He's almost like trying to goad Dalinar with this information. He shares that the spren that they've used to make that shard shield is a high spren not like the actual like high spren what's the word i'm looking for intelligent spren yeah it, it's a not a lesser spren it's a like sentient spren so they've taken like a sill a, a honor spren a cultivation spren and they've imprisoned it in their gem to power this half shard that is i'm potentially not okay with that and I think I wonder, I wonder if that's kind of where the story might be leading. Are our characters going to have to face that dilemma in the near future of, are they okay with using Fabrials? Are they okay with using Shardblades now that they understand better what exactly is happening? Right. And that's kind of dropped in the middle of the the thrill revelation that Dalinar gets. Yeah. And so he's like, 
conveniently Dalinar, Dalinar, conveniently Brandon Sanderson brings that up right then because yep. it's bringing it up. Dalinar's like, I don't have time to think about this. I'm I'm yeah. running, literally running right now. So, so tough tough questions. Just one last thing on one hundred and one. Uh, Captain Eco calls Adolin out for calling his dead eye a friend. That he Captain Eco asks him like, "What is she to you?" And Adolin says, "Oh, she, well, she's a friend. Like, I I talk to her and I, you know, interact with her." And Captain Eco's like, "Well, not really. Like, I I understand that you care for your sword, but she's a tool for you. She's don't don't pretend she's your friend because." If she had her way, she probably wouldn't be with you. All right. We get to Celebrant. A lot of people, they're turning heads as they're walking through Celebrant. They split up, and a lot of people are noticing, like, oh, there's a, there's a, there's people here. That's not normal. And... Syl has a light weaving on her, so she's pretending to be person two. And we get to the painting. Do you want to talk about... They're they're going through a couple different stalls, picking up, you know, food and clothes and stuff like that that they need. And Kaladin notices a painting. Elliot, do you want to talk about it? I do want to talk about this. So Kaladin notices a painting, and you don't think too much of it. He just kind of looks at it. And then he looks at it a little further and he thinks he sees like, he thinks he sees the unmade in it. He sees like shadows. It's mostly red. It's got some white. It's got some black in it. And then there's some interesting bits we get from the, the vendor. The vendor tells us, where is it? Ah, yes. From the far off court of gods, a painting intended only for a divinity to see. It is exceptionally rare that one escapes being burned at the court and makes its way onto the market. And Kaladin kind of asks some questions. And interestingly, I guess I'll mention this. The the person mentions that this is a piece by Nenefra or something like that. Nenefra, yep. And that each person who sees it sees something different. So interesting little bits of information there. And all of that rang a bell and when I had some time to think about it, I realized we had a scene in Warbreaker where Light Song was examining paintings. That was like part of his duties as a god, was he's supposed to look at paintings and say what he thinks about them. And <laughs> yes. so I'm like, okay, I remember this. So, so I, I went back, I, I went over to my bookshelf and I pulled, I pulled off Warbreaker and I started doing some, some digging. And I found it, sure enough, the scene where he he's examining a painting. And it's kind of one of those moments in the story of Warbreaker where he he starts to take his job a little seriously. Before, up until this point, he's just been goofing off. I don't want to be a god. I, who am I? What am I doing? Then he sees this one painting, and it kind of speaks to him. But that painting that speaks to him is red with some black and with some white. And he sees some very specific things in there. He sees night blood in the painting he sees um war he sees battle and then it talks about how 
he like says, oh yeah, don't send this one to be burned. All the rest of his paintings, they like all get sent off to be burned. And he's like, oh no, don't burn this one. And, and all of that together has me very convinced that this is that painting. And somehow that painting has come from the world of Warbreaker into Shadesmar on Roshar and is just sitting in a market stall here in this random city that doesn't even seem that important. And I don't know what to do with this information. I'm really struggling about why this is important, and it may not be. This may just be an Easter egg, but I am really jazzed about this, that this is such a specific and detailed connection between the two books we've just read. Could you, but before you talk, Paul, could you imagine if Shalon had been the one to walk into the city and gone to the stall instead of Kaladin I've seen and she sees the painting and she goes, huh, that looks familiar. And then walks away. That'd be so funny. But anyway, go ahead, Paul. That, that would, I mean, that's what would happen if she were the one to walk into. Oh, that, clearly. Right. right. Uh, <laughs> um, wait, but okay. My, I'm not even going to elaborate on what Elliot said. I just want to ask you, Trevor, have you heard this? Did you know this was like a connection or an Easter egg? Because honestly, I think this is a very obscure connection that I think is short. Like it, you know, evidence really points to it, but like it's obscure enough that I'm curious to see if you've even heard of this. I have heard of it. And okay. I, I mean, did you ever notice it on your own? Would you have noticed that? Did I ever notice it on my own? So I, I only I read Oathbringer first before Warbreaker. Okay. Okay. So okay. did I did I recognize it on that read? Absolutely not. When I read Warbreaker, I actually picked up on this when they titled the court the Court of Gods before he even looks at this painting. I I I tied those two together first okay. when when the the vendor guy says, "Oh, this comes from the Court of Gods." That's when I made that connection. Okay, that makes sense. I I I had forgotten that like your order was different from us, right? Right. And stuff. So that makes sense. But that is quite the connection, Elliot. And I'm really impressed uh, because I I mean I was just like, okay, cool painting. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. Nice. Oh wow. Okay, nine figures. It's probably the unmade or the heralds or something. Whoa. And now I'm getting really intrigued by the number of little crossover bits from that story to this one. I I did not expect that at all. I, I figured we were reading... I figured we read Warbreaker for Nightblood. For Nightblood. And that was it. Right. That, that, that was the only connection we were going to have here. It was, oh yeah, you're supposed to... Or if you, if you want to know a little more about Nightblood, go read Warbreaker. So the fact that these keep coming up and that we potentially have Vasher in our story, that we potentially have Vivenna in our story, here we have this detailed scene with the painting. These stories seem to be more connected than I would have guessed. I agree. And, and especially, I guess when I first thought about it was with Ryan, our pre previous episode, um, who was like immediately jumping to breaths as the yeah. like, the level of you know enlightenment or whatever or whatever the term was um yeah just like how i guess it's more commonplace so i've i've been i've been surprised yeah i want to talk about the economy or or the 
I'm sort of looking for the monetary value of spheres in Shadesmar. They in Shadesmar they don't value the sphere itself. They value stormlight. So the price of this painting is 1,000 bromes of stormlight. And on the physical realm, there are, you know, sapphire, ruby, emerald, that they're all different tiers of a monetary value. But in Shadesmar, none of that matters. It's the stormlight that's the, the, the value of the sphere. So it doesn't matter what color sphere you have in Shadesmar, the, the value is the light in it. So you could bring a thousand bromes of whatever color stormlight you want. It's just a thousand bromes of stormlight is the is the value there. So that's why some things seem to be super expensive and some things seem to be super cheap is because they just have a lot of spheres of different varieties, but some of them are more or less valuable in Shadesmar. Also, the actual value that the different items that are for sale have seems like almost arbitrary. There's really things that you would expect to be expensive. They talk about how they get like clothing or something for a shockingly low price. And then you go over and other things are just randomly, oh yeah, that's 5,000, you know, marks worth of stormlight it's like whoa like wait what and there's a the only explanation we get is something about like how permanent they are and like that's all we get like how permanent they are determines their value odd yep so their their tour of celebrant gets cut short because turns out there's a fused in in celebrant looking for them he's doing these interrogations of all the ships coming into port and he finds captain eco and sees like the food that they had on board for the the passengers and ends up burning his ship to the ground kind of on accident but um because there's no water to put the 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 ship out and when all is said and done, Syl actually uses the bounty on her head of being an honor spren to get passage on a ship. So there's there's a super fancy ship with honor spren on it, and she basically takes off of her takes off her disguise and says, "Hey, hi, hi! Like I'm I'm Syl. I'm the the ancient daughter is what she uh, is her title, and they recognize her immediately." And turn around and pick her up because she's, we're presuming because she's worth a lot. This was definitely a bit of a, of a revelation here. Syl has a bounty on her head. I mean, we knew that she was disobedient before, right? right? We knew that she sought after Kaladin or chose to bond with Kaladin, and that was, you know not condoned but this is a whole nother level this is like all of shadesmar is out to find her because there's a huge bounty on her head like who is she and and then we get this cryptic title maybe that's the wrong word choice interesting <laughs> title <laughs> ancient daughter 
that sounds, you know, potentially really important. Is this going to, is still going to end up being like the daughter of the king of all Shadesmar or something like that? I mean, we know she's tied to the Stormfather and that she's an honor spren, which is apparently kind of royalty already, but is still going to end up being like someone super really important in Shadesmar? She has a throwaway comment of, oh, I'm a, I'm a Spren light eyes. And I didn't tell you because or I didn't tell you Kaladin because I thought you wouldn't like me. Yep. That's really funny. There's also a funny joke in here that I think is really well delivered in the audiobook, And it's pattern interpreting for uh Sill or sorry, pattern interpreting for Shalon to barter for passage, and he turns to interpret and says, Oh, the captain would rather trade with honor spren than go back to the, the perpendicularity. And <laughs> in the audiobook, Kate Redding uh has a wonderful delivery of this line because he's she's like oh i think this is a joke ha 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 because <laughs> yeah. that like pattern doesn't understand you know like humor or anything like that so yeah. she i don't know she's really good at it i do actually want to touch on pattern for like just a second because honestly it's not worth like going down the rabbit trail but we've known that pattern is a cryptic right and we, I don't know, when we first were learning about him and learning about Shalon and their bond, we kind of referred to them as, like, lie spren. Like, they feed off of, like, lies and lies or truths. But, I don't know, it's a weird, like, relationship there. But, I mean, we kind of learned, I think it was actually in our previous episode, I don't remember exactly where we learned it, that, you know, sp- Sill is the spren of honor. Pattern is the spren of like logical or natural truth. Right? He's it's a big long phrase. He's like the fundamental properties in which our world exists on or whatever. And that's like what his pattern is, is a a physical like or a display of that like pat like I don't know. Literal like tr- structure of what is true of what is like of what literally makes the world kind of thing so i thought that was just really fascinating to learn that and so yeah he's like a truth spren i guess so i thought that was neat but yeah he doesn't get humor very well here right The last thing I want to highlight in this chapter is the way they actually escape the the fuse. The fuse doesn't come after them. Why? I noticed this. The fuse sees them board the ship, chases after them, and then stops when he realize when the fuse sees that there's honor spread. It's like, and we've gotten those other mentions, like the whole "I'd rather trade with honor spread" thing. Honor spreads seem like feared or hated or are they just more powerful than all the rest of the spren there's something very different about honor spren and all the rest of the spren treat them differently the 
stocking broker guy also has an interesting reaction to Shalon confessing that she's a Knight's Radiant. He's happy about it, and he says he'll cover for them as they run. Aren't we, weren't we under the impression that Sprint don't like people because of the Recreants? You know, like, wouldn't he be concerned that the Knights Radiant are coming back? He's one comment in there that might help with that was he says something along the lines of we've been waiting so long for men to regain their honor or something like that or for men to regain their oaths and maybe he's just a little more optimistic amongst us Bren and thinks that oh yeah maybe we can you know get back to the way it used to be whereas other Spren might look at it as oh great another opportunity for humans to betray Spren but yeah I, I was a little surprised too that he viewed that as a good turn of events. Anything else on one or two? My only other thought on that is, didn't we learn that a spread is kind of strengthened through their bond with a human, right? So it, it like it helps both parties a lot, right? Assuming um, it's so a help. Yeah. Assuming it's a healthy bond, it helps them both progress, right? Yeah, that's true. So it's like, yeah, they, they a lot of Spren probably hate humans because of the recreants, which very much makes sense. Uh, but there's still probably that innate desire, like, for that healthy bond to grow. Right. So, 